From Springfield, this is State Week, a program of analysis and commentary on the events that made news this past week in Illinois state government and politics. Well, Governor J.B. Pritzker says Illinois is back, and he touted the state's economy during remarks at this week's Crane Chicago Business Luncheon. The governor says Illinois is bringing in businesses and jobs. We'll talk about what he had to say and does the rhetoric match the reality. We'll also remember the last Republican Senate president, James Pate Phillip. That and more coming up on State Week. I'm Sean Crawford in Springfield, and our panel includes Charlie Wheeler, Professor Emeritus, and former director of the Public Affairs Reporting Program at the University of Illinois Springfield. Charlie's also been a longtime Statehouse reporter and observer. And our guest this week, good to have back with us, Greg Hines, columnist with Cranes. Greg, thanks for joining us once again. Always a pleasure. So, Greg, you were there for this event. You wrote about it, the governor uh, getting an opportunity before business leaders and a lot of other dignitaries. Give us the overview, overview rather, of the message that he had to say. What was he trying to get across to the crowd? Well, there were, there were two things that, that struck me of interest. One is uh, that uh, uh, here you have a Democratic governor talking to a bunch of uh, probably mostly Republican business types uh, about all the successes that his administration has been able to accomplish in the business sector. Um, uh, and there is some truth to that. There's a little bit of exaggeration. Uh, there's some studies and, and surveys and indices on which Illinois still isn't doing very well. But uh, we, he's been able to reel in two big wins for electric vehicle plants. It did lay a cost in, in subsidies uh, and battery producers. Uh, uh, one up in uh, one up in uh, in, in uh, Belvedere, uh, where the new Chrysler Solanus plant, Chrysler's the old name, is going to reopen with a battery plant next to it. And then there's another big battery plant going up in uh, Montino, and south of the city near Joliet. He also knows this. The state's great success in bringing in data centers, uh, which uh, uh, are one of the things for the future. Uh, the, the, the amount of money and the successes the state seems to be in the rapidly growing field of quantum. All those are very valid points. The Stellantis and, and Goshen stuff, we haven't seen investments like that on the industrial side in this state in 30, 40 years. Um, and he made it very clear that he thought that this was due to good governance by him as opposed to under his predecessor who didn't name it, who was clearly referring to Bruce Rauner. Uh, what I found interesting, though, is uh, is when the governor uh, took the opportunity to uh, compare Illinois to Florida, which just happens to be the state where another governor, uh, Ron DeSantis, is running for president. Uh, and there seemed to be an implied message there that could not only play to Illinois, but could play nationally, uh, if need be, that uh, this is a, a good business state uh, uh, and that uh, uh, Prescott is a business-friendly Democrat. <clears throat> now, given all the speculation about what's going to happen if Joe Biden backs out the last minute, that's pertinent. Uh, given the speculation about what's happening and uh, what might happen four years from now, maybe uh, Pritzker's positioning himself, it's pertinent. The Pritzker people say that now there is no political agenda here, but uh, people do stuff like this. Always insist there's no political agenda. just found it interesting that he uh, came up with a message that would resonate both here in the state uh, and nationally in political circles. Charlie, governors or any elected official always likes to tout things and say they're better than they were before they came into office and and took over. But I think you could make a reasonable argument that the economy of Illinois, whether it's all J.B. Pritzker's responsibility or not, that the economy is doing better than it was, say, you know, seven, eight years ago when we had a budget impasse under former Governor Bruce Rauner. Yeah, I think there's no doubt about it. 
Illinois still has problems, obviously, uh, but and as Greg mentioned, Pritzker did not mention Rauner by name, but just listening to Pritzker and the things that he said and that he's done, it's such a contrast between how Pritzker approaches selling Illinois and Rauner. Rauner spent a lot of time bad-mouthing the state, how bad things were, how terrible things were, and just complaining. On the other hand, uh, Pritzker is probably the state's biggest cheerleader. And one of the things he mentioned, and Greg, you had this in your story, he said that uh, we're now in discussion with 25 companies, big companies with billions to invest, up to 4,000 jobs. He said companies are coming to us. They want to do business in Illinois. So I think that's what a contrast from from his predecessor. Yeah, would you agree with that, Greg? I mean, when you look back on it, uh, is he right that things are better under Bruce than they were under Bruce Rauner? I mean, uh, or is that just maybe the luck of the draw? Maybe things have turned no, a little I, bit I for would, the state. I would say no. It, it's it's very much not the luck of the draw. It's it's very much steps that the governor has taken in concert with the legislative leaders to improve our finances. Uh, our credit ratings have been increased nine times since he has taken over. We've eliminated a backlog of bills that was in the neighborhood of $16, 17000000000 billion. And nowadays it runs like a billion, billion and a half, the daily accounts payable, which is roughly what you would expect for a state this size. And so in a, in a lot of ways, we are a lot better off. And I think one of the things is the attitude, just having a governor who's out there trying to sell Illinois instead of one who's trying to badmouth it all the time makes a big difference. I would agree with all that, but I think it's fair to, to, to question, uh, with all due respect, to what the governor has been able to accomplish, whether much of this isn't low-hanging fruit of sorts. Um, and, I mean, you expect a state to roll out a budget every year and then not fight uh, and uh, and let the bills run up, which is how we got into the problems. Um, uh, yes, uh, uh, our credit rating has come up, but we're still right at the bottom of the 50 states. We're not junk territory, but uh, I think we were four, tied for 49th last time I looked. Yeah, we have added jobs, and we now have more jobs in the state than we did before COVID, uh, but we trailed the nation by good nine, ten months in doing that, and our growth was less to other states. So so we're doing better than we were uh, compared to a terrible period, no question about it. The question is, are we doing as well as we should be doing? Well, one of the things that came out this week, and, and this, is, this is another area, I think, for discussion on the economy, is we are hearing a lot about new plants, new investments being made. A lot of that, though, is in northern Illinois. I'm not going to say all of it is, but a lot of it is. Of course, this week, announcement made that uh, a big steel mill in Granite City, the Metro East near St. Louis, is going to be shutting down and uh, getting rid of about 1,000 jobs there. Is the governor doing enough for the other parts of the state, Greg? I mean, is it, does it seem as though investments are happening in central or southern Illinois? Uh, the governor's people would say they're trying, uh, but they can only deal with uh, what the reality is. Um, uh, uh, the, what's, what the slow disappearance of stuff downstate is, is, is goes back for many decades, as you know better than I do. Um, uh, and you couldn't reasonably expect him to, to, to totally reverse it. Um, 
that's a subject on which people are going to disagree. The governor's people would say, yes, they're doing what they can, and they, they, they were pointing some successes. Other people would say, no, it ain't enough. Uh, uh, we're still not, we still need the low taxes that, that would really pull in the jobs. Yeah, I, I think Illinois has a, a big difference between the metropolitan area, northeast Chicago, or northeast Illinois, and the rest of the state, particularly central and southern Illinois. Uh, and one thing, the the infrastructure that's there. Another thing would be the the level of what's the right way to say this? Highly educated, very skilled professionals. Because a lot of the things that you see happening around the Chicago area are involving more advanced technology, so to speak. And Southern Illinois has still not recovered from the loss of all the jobs when the coal mine shut down. So whether or not a company wants to locate, say, for want of a better term, and not to pick on them, uh, to locate in Vandalia as opposed to locating, say, in in somewhere in Cook County, uh, I, I think the advantages are pretty obvious that you're going to look at a place like the Chicago area, just from the transportation point of view, railroad transit. Uh, yeah, just to elaborate transit. on that a little bit, uh, I think that, Sean, I think the dynamic that, that counts is, is, what is what's more important to a company. Uh, low cost of business, including low taxes, low wages, or a highly educated talent, uh, talent pool that usually comes with, with, with higher taxes and more investment by the government. Um, it's going to be different for different kinds of companies. Uh, and so far, uh, the high-tax model, high-cost or relatively high-cost model, seems to be working better in northeast Illinois than it does in the rest of the state. Well, Greg, one of the things that you uh, wrote about as well was you talked to a couple of different individuals, business leaders. One, uh, the Illinois Manufacturers Association President Mark Densler, also the Chicagoland Chamber of Commerce CEO Jack Lavin. They gave Pritzker glowing remarks as well. I, I guess, is that a surprise, not a surprise? Jack Lavin, who's the head of the Chicagoland Chamber, was Pat Quinn's chief of staff, uh, so maybe you could expect it from him. But the, the comment from Densler was, uh, I think, interesting. Um, uh, uh, Mark and his group have worked very closely with the governor in putting together uh, the incentive package that was necessary to, to lure the EV makers and, and producers and battery uh, manufacturers and so forth. And they seem to be quite thrilled at uh, what they're getting done and and what's uh, and what's going on. Um, not perfect, but uh, the message has been very consistent on the record, off the record. I think they indeed are happy and uh, uh, they like what they're seeing. So what else uh, did the governor talk about, Greg? What else stood out to you at this event? He uh, he kind of sloughed off uh, the crime situation in the city of Chicago, insisted it's getting better. Uh, that's one of those statistical things. Uh, the number of murders is finally down, uh, but the number of uh, hijackings, hijackings and, uh, and armed robberies is way up. Uh, so that's at best a, a mixed figure. Um, Probably statewide, the most significant thing is he seemed to pretty much endorse uh, this emerging call from the Regional Transportation Authority to raise taxes up here uh, to avoid a fiscal cliff uh, with the, the CTA and the RTA. And the, 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 uh, the ridership hasn't returned from COVID, but they're losing the federal money, and they're facing huge budget holes in a couple of years, and they're clearly gearing up to stick their hand out in Springfield. Um, I thought he might 
uh, impose some conditions on that, uh, some efficiencies, or you have to do this to get the money. But he pretty much said, uh, we're in with them, and what they need, we're going to get for them. Uh, I'll be interested to see how that flies in the General Assembly. Charlie, the mayor of Chicago runs the city, so crime issues and things you would think more would fall more to the mayor, but the governor's going to wear some of this as well, especially if he is getting more on a national stage. So he has to address that in some way if, if crime's an issue or at least the perception of crime in the Chicago area, don't you think? Yeah, I, I think that's that is totally accurate. Uh, and what are the things that uh, people would attack him for, and the jury is still out on this, is the fact that he was the governor who signed the so-called Safety Act abolishing cash bail. And there was a lot of predictions ahead of time that this was going to lead to some kind of explosion of crime. That has not occurred, but we're still waiting to see what the the implications of it are. He also signed an assault weapons ban, which has been under challenge from uh, gun rights groups. And whether or not that will survive its ultimate fate before the U.S. Supreme Court is uncertain at best. So that's an issue that, as the, the governor, as the chief executive officer of the entire state, that's something that he's he's got to be, um, for want of a better term, that's something that he will be answerable to whenever he runs, if he should at some point in the future decide to run for president. That would certainly be an issue. Greg, is that something that he has done a good enough job on so far, answering those types of questions? Yeah, I would argue not, Sean. Um, Charlie is right that so far uh, the, the blowback on the safety legislation has gone more been rhetoric than real. There's been no sign of explosion. Uh, on the other hand, if you if you talk to typical Chicagoans, uh, the, the complaint all the time is, hey, uh, the bed, there's too many bad guys walking around. I, I'm not safe here. I don't feel safe here. There were stories in the paper this morning about how the city's tourism is still being hurt by a perception that it's not safe to be here. And one of the other things this governor did is pretty much stand and watch while the General Assembly refused to uh, extend a bill that uh, Kwame Bregola, the state attorney general, was pushing uh, to uh, continue enhanced penalties for repeat gun offenders. You would think that if in the midst of the crime wave, you'd want uh, enhanced penalties, but uh, uh, the progressives say their studies show that uh, they didn't do any good and they don't believe in, in, in penalties anyhow. So the legislation, which cleared the Senate, easily died in the House. Uh, the governor appeared to do nothing and to expend no political capital to uh, to save that bill. This is uh, this is a complicated area, and I agree with Charlie. There's uh, there's some significant political liability here potentially that could stick to the governor, depending on how all this plays out. You're listening to State Week. I'm Sean Crawford in Springfield. Our panel includes Charlie Wheeler and Greg Hines, a columnist with Crane Chicago Business. Well, Greg, another issue that's happening in Chicago that is getting a lot of national attention is the influx of migrants, asylum seekers coming to the city. And now that cold weather is starting to hit and many of these people still have no place to stay, uh, there has been even more concern about what's going to happen to them. There was some announcements there over the recent days about uh, new developments that are going to be taking place for people, shelters uh, that are going to be built and, and maintained there for uh, for migrants. What is the latest on the situation there? Well, the bottom line, Sean, is that the city's running uh, real hard, uh, faster than it has been running, but uh, it also seems to be running in place. I'm not sure it's making any real progress. Um, uh, on, the, on the good side, um, 
the number of people uh, who are camped out in police stations and in front of police stations in, uh, in tents has gone down. As of this morning, it, it's down to uh, 971, according to the city. It was uh, well above 3,000. So you no longer have sites of little kids freezing in the cold, sleeping, trying to sleep outside when it's 20 degrees. Um, that's progress. Most of those uh, folks seem to have gone into a few more city shelters, but also the, the churches stepped up and uh, and uh, and opened some spaces in their facilities for these people. So, so at least people have been brought in out of the cold. City also is proceeding with plans to build and apparently open. We'll know for sure later this week a uh, a large tent encampment <clears throat> down on the southwest side that would house more than a thousand people. That's running a very strong community opposition. State's paying the bill. Uh, the, the mayor has just has said he wants to do it, and they, they seem to be proceeding pending a final, a final environmental report on whether this former factory site is safe or not. So that's uh, on the good side. On the on the bad side, the dip in the number of new immigrants arriving that occurred over Thanksgiving has seems to have reversed, and we're back to where we were. <clears throat> Three buses arrived yesterday, on uh, yesterday being Wednesday. Uh, six uh, were supposed to arrive on Thursday. Uh, that's you know three four hundred people. If you have three hundred three or four hundred people additionally coming in every day, that means you got to have three or four hundred additional spots or, or move. Uh, three or four hundred people out, or the, or the number of people in shelters continues to expand. <clears throat> the number of people in shelters now, according to the city, has has topped the uh, has topped the thirteen thousand mark. <clears throat> uh, that's uh, <clears throat> that's not sustainable. Um, ultimately, what's needed here is for everybody to do a better job of getting these folks out of out of shelters uh, into jobs where they have work uh, authorization and into apartments where they can pay for themselves. Some of that is happening, but like I said, it seems to be we're running in place. So they're, they're doing a better job of getting people out, but at the same time, the number of people coming in continues to continues to at least hold it what it was. Greg, I wanted to touch on, you wrote a column a few weeks back, and I just wanted to kind of get your thoughts on this, maybe for people that didn't get a chance to read it, and I'll just read the title of it. As the whole world watches, will Chicago live up to its immigrant ideals? And so what's the point that you are making there? And the point I was making is uh, is the point that Governor Pritzker, frankly, made a little bit later, that you can't allow people in a Chicago winter to sleep outside. You just can't. And that point finally seemed to have gotten through. Like I said, the number of people sleeping outside uh, at police stations has, has dropped off. It's down below 1,000. It was above 3,000. So that's been heard. But my larger point is the one I was talking about a minute ago. Um, this city has lost population. It has a labor shortage. Uh, there's lots of empty housing units. Uh, there's lots of employers who will, who want people who want jobs. By all indications, most of these uh, refugees uh, are middle-class folks. Uh, they're educated. Uh, they just want to live in a country where they don't have to worry about being killed all the time. Um, we need to do a better job of moving them off of where they are into where they need to be. And that's where... That's where I'd like to see some leadership. I've seen a little, haven't seen enough. And Charlie, uh, you'd agree with that, I think? Yeah, I would. And I think one of the hang-ups, is, as Greg suggested, uh, a lot of these folks are not subsistence-level peasant farmers from out in the countryside in Venezuela. Rather, they are professional, skilled people who were business people, doctors and nurses, attorneys, and who had to leave Venezuela because of the political and economic considerations. 
and they are eager to go to work. You see stories in the Chicago media every day where reporters go out and interview these folks, and they say, I want a job. I don't want to be taking handouts. I want to support myself and my family. And the hang-up is they can't get work permits. And I think, and Pritzker, other governors, city leaders like Johnson have petitioned and pleaded with and begged and conjoled the White House to speed up the process so that if you have someone who wants to work and there's an employer who really wants to hire that individual, they can get authority to do it, get the work permit. I've said on this show earlier, there should be a situation where uh, Charlie Wheeler says, I want to work. And Sean Crawford says, well, I need to hire you. And the federal government says, okay, here's permission, go to work. Well, let me uh, save a few minutes here. I did want to uh, give us a chance to remember somebody who passed away over the past week. We did not get a chance on last week's show to talk about this because it happened after we recorded, but James Pate Phillip died. He was the former Illinois Senate president, a Republican uh, from DuPage County, back when the suburbs really did wield some Republican power. He uh, held that title for 10 years, the last Republican Senate president. And Charlie and Greg, I'll give you both a chance. Charlie, I'll start with you. Uh, what do you remember about covering Pete Phillip, which you talked to him several times through the years? I think the thing that stood out about Pete Phillip was that he was very conservative he was not at all politically correct. He said whatever was on his mind. But on the other hand, he really looked out for his members in terms of trying to promote what was good for Senate Republicans. He was a loyal team player in the sense that he worked with the Republican governors with whom he served. And he also was a guy who was 100% honest. He would not dissemble. He'd say exactly what was on his mind, and it got him in a lot of trouble. He said stuff that was, well, really outrageous. I remember one time there was talk about increasing uh, the monthly stipends for folks who were on welfare, and he said, nah, they'll just use it to buy lottery tickets. And another time, speaking of bilingual education, his uh, attitude was, eh, let him learn to speak English. And he also talked about uh, not wanting to put more money into Chicago schools, was pouring money down a rat hole. But on the other hand, as I say, he was very supportive of, of government in general, and he's also had uh, allegiance to the, the, the Republican governors. He opposed them on some issues, but one thing that stands out in my mind uh, Jim Thompson was pushing for a tax increase, and Pate Phillip reluctantly sponsored the legislation in the Senate, but he had alongside uh, where it says the, the, who the, the name of the bill, who the sponsor is, after it said Senator Phillip, it had the phrase, by request, to make it clear that this was not his idea. He was doing it as a supporter of Jim Thompson. Greg, no, you also covered uh, Pete Phillip through the years. Uh, similar to Charlie's, um, Pete in some ways is kind of a look at our politics today, frankly. 
Um, he believed that uh, what counted was what other Republicans thought, and, and Democrats be damned. Uh, so if, if, uh, if, if an idea couldn't get a majority support in his caucus, and his caucus was very conservative and largely downstate, uh, he wasn't interested in it. Um, that uh, Add that to the uh, kind of tough ex-Marine, I'm not going to screw around. I'm going to tell you exactly what I think, and if you don't like it, I'll, I'll tell you where to shove it. I, uh, public demeanor... Um, there was a kind of hardballness to his political style that uh, has, has kind of morphed into some much more uglier versions of today, but uh, arguably was a front runner. Um, <clears throat> um, uh, but I, I would agree that uh, he didn't shut the government down. Um, my recollection is that he and Jim Edgar didn't get along nearly as well as he and Jim Thompson got along. Uh, uh, but. Uh, uh, Lord knows, you know, you know where you stood with Pate. Um, uh, he was successful until the Democrats got control of the map and redrew the lines. Uh, and uh, uh, he was a bit, old, a bit of an old-fashioned politician too. Uh, Pate wouldn't turn his nose up at uh, patronage jobs in DuPage County, where he was the boss. That was his power center. Um, but. Uh, He's, he was genuine, and uh, unlike a lot of politicians now who uh, stick their head up and take a poll, uh, pay to tell you what he thought. Just a few seconds left here, about 30 seconds or so. Really quick, Greg, candidate filing began this week. I know there are some primaries, congressional, maybe some others that are being watched closely. What are you looking at up in the Chicago area? Well, the big news is what didn't happen for uh, for state's attorney. You had two Democrats running to succeed Kim Fox, who is retiring. But Jim Durkin, the former uh, uh, Republican leader of the House who had toyed heavily with it, uh, uh, announced that he wasn't going to run. And his excuse was, hey, within a ticket selection, going to be headed, for, uh, headed by Donald Trump. Forget it. Uh, I can't win. All right. Time now for our notes from the field. Charlie, we'll go to you first. All righty. Well, we had talked a little bit earlier about Pritzker and crime. The Illinois State Police this week announced that the new procedures that were put in place for the so-called clear and present danger reports have been working out fairly well. Uh, and this is a, a provision that would allow folks who have some concern that someone is a potential threat to hurt someone or themselves, and law enforcement agencies, school administrators, medical professionals can file one of these clear and present danger reports to the state police and then the state police reviews the report and can revoke the FOIA card or the application for the card for that individual and confiscate any firearms. So the state police reported that between January this year, the start of this year, and September, they investigated more than 10,000 clear and present danger reports. 4,212 resulted in revoking a card or an application, and 4,900 individuals were found to not have a FOIA card or a pending application. And State Police Director Brendan Kelly said, this is his quote, we can stop potential tragedies when law enforcement, school administrators, and medical professionals file clear and present danger reports. And then they gave half a dozen different examples of individuals who exhibited concerning behavior, and the state police got a report, they went and investigated, they revoked the FOIA card, and they confiscated firearms from these particular individuals. And Greg? 
I'm kind of interested in what we haven't heard about much lately, and that's uh, the Bears Stadium. If you remember, just a few months ago, there was all kinds of talk about the and they're going to Arlington Heights, now they're going somewhere else. So we're going to we're going to help them, or we're not going to help them. Well, that subject has all all but dried up. Uh, and the interesting thing is what's going on behind the scenes. Um, I'm not sure we exactly know yet, but it seems pretty clear the Bears are down on. Uh, on Arlington Heights, uh, perhaps for financial reasons. Uh, they're now seriously looking again at the city. Uh, but uh, whether Mayor Johnson is prepared to spend the kind of capital, both political and financial, that would be necessary to keep them in a new place in town is, is very much up in the air. The subject has gone mysteriously quiet. All right. Well, that's all for this episode of State Week. Our panel included Shirley Wheeler and Greg Hines with Cream Chicago Business. You can find our show where you get your podcasts through the NPR One app and at nprillinois.org. Just look for State Week. Join us next time. I'm Sean Crawford. You've been listening to State Week, a program of commentary and analysis of events in Illinois state politics and government. State Week is produced in the state capitol by public radio station NPR Illinois. This is IPR, Illinois Public Radio.